Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are the worst girl gang ever. We're proudly sponsored by our friends at Mercy Mama. If you're looking for a special sentimental piece for yourself, then look no further. They're a personalised jewellery brand and everything they do is hand engraved, making the perfect keepsake for you or a loved one. What's so special about their pieces is that you can actually customise them with any metal colour, adding birthstones and gemstones and finish off with an engraving of meaningful names, dates or messages. I absolutely love my bracelet from Mercy Mama. It's got my children's initials on. And we know from experience how special this keepsake jewellery is, don't we? Yeah, we do. I've got a rose gold necklace with initials on the front and a little message that's on the back that no one else can see, but I know is there. It's quite special. It's so special. And the the great thing is that they've offered us a 15% discount for all our listeners using Girl Gang 15 when you shop online. And the website is www.mercymamonboutique.com. If you can't spell that, don't worry. We'll stick it in the podcast description. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Now, we are joined this week by Sean, who is better known, potentially, as Naked Nackers. Thanks so much for coming on, Sean. Hiya. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, finally. Uh, yeah, finally, yeah. Made a bit of an error I'm, I'm, uh, back in yeah, the summer. My yeah, fault completely. This has been in the pipeline for a while now, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, as I said, my, completely my fault, and I, I, I massively apologise for that. No, don't be silly. <laughs> so, Sean, tell us and uh, our listeners a little bit about what makes you sort of a part of the honorary TWGG crew. Yeah, I do. I, I feel honoured to be part of it. And uh, but so, as you said earlier, so I go by also by the name of Knackered Knackers, um, which I found out recently doesn't really translate to American. <laughs> it's over, over in America. <laughs> so I had to kind of explain it to a couple of people that I was on an online support group with. But um, what so, does it Just nothing? Uh, no, not really. They, so obviously, I had to explain obviously that knackered is either broken or tired. And, um, and, and knackers is just not a. a what they they know of at all for for balls so yeah I'd, I'd always kind of wondered and I found myself online with these American chaps and I asked and yeah it's um they just had no idea so, yeah yeah exactly but but the Brits love it so but, um, yeah it was it just kind of came to me but yeah so I, I kind of uh that that is 
to anyone who knows what that means that that is me i have my my knackers are knackered they don't work i have no sperm which is um azoospermia uh, so i having been through the, the kind of the whole process of male factor infertility and trying to conceive for years with my wife and, and having a couple of failed operations on, on my part um we eventually went down the path of using donor sperm and, mm-hmm. um, back in February this year. So just over, had over nine months ago, we were blessed with, with our, our twins, Ray and Evelyn. Um, and so I kind of having been through the process and which was roughly around four years for us um, yeah. and go, going through the absolute, like just awful time that it is and the struggles and questioning myself a lot. Um, and, and not finding that support there as a bloke mm-hmm. in, in, in this world. And obviously there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a, a growing scene of it, which is great to see and I'm pleased to be part of it. But at the time I needed it, there was just nothing there. Yeah. So I kind of, I just felt a bit of a moral responsibility really to, to kind of put my voice out there and, 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 and go back and, and, and just provide any help I can to, to other blokes out there. That's amazing. And how, so when you, when you first started, you and your wife first started for trying for a baby, did she have sort of tests and everything before you did? Um, well, with us, so I, I had mumps when I was kind of um, about 22. Yeah. So, and, and, and because it was post-puberty, I, I suffered a lot with it. I was for about three weeks, I was really poorly. Um, my balls swelled up really big and mm. and then you kind of a lot of people at the time or or after that because I had a photo of what they look like um, so um I kind of happily was showing it around for years after and people kind of flippantly said <laughs> oh you know that can make you infertile that's oh, a- they were so big it was it was like look at look at these look at these you've got and um <laughs> But yeah, people feel like we need to make you infertile. I don't know if I want to see the picture. Didn't it just make you willy? I'd love to see it. Well, I I covered that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it went off. But it was, um, I've actually lost the photo. I'd love to see it again. I can can still picture it perfectly. (laughs) I haven't seen it for years. A couple of my friends jokingly say they've still got it, but uh, I don't think so. so were you told at the yeah, time kind of, that it might affect your fertility? Not by any medical practitioners. And that's no. something which kind of I look back and think, you know, I don't know whether they would it's probably just a lack of education on their part around it. And it's not if it's not their field type thing, they don't want to make any comments. But there's just lots of people saying, Oh, you know that can make you infertile, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, um, quite a few years when I'm with my wife and, and, and we're trying but not nothing is happening on one of those we both went to the doctors same doctor but separately and um I was able to say look I had this so it kind of from the outset it kind of did ping and trigger to them that there may be an issue on my part rather than and I know for in a lot of cases the kind of male is pushed aside because they're just assumed to to, to be no problems and, and, and the lady could go through a lot of tests and stuff that, that didn't really happen in our case because there was kind of the the inkling that, that there might might be an issue but it was just something which I never had, had looked into until the time where actually you, you need and, and want to know about these things which mm, again, is something I should have known better really. Was it something that you guys had spoken about before you started trying for a baby? 
I, I did tell my wife. I think again, it probably just came up from like almost like the banter side of it. And I can't remember if I still had the photo when I got with her, but maybe that's what helped woo her. Maybe that's what, that's what wooed her. Yeah. <laughs> Look at these. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd certainly told her about it. I can't remember in what context, but yeah, it's just kind of it's a bit you know there's no real concern from either of us and and because you don't you just float through life and you you just assume that you you follow the path that everyone sets out and you you get married get a house have a baby it's easy yeah. isn't it yeah i think also as well like what you went through as no medical professional told you that it might be a problem, you didn't consider it would be a problem. Because I think it's only when you go through something like that and someone with like, what, seven years of training says, okay, this is what you've got. These could be the knock-on effects in the future. Mm. Then you would have it forefront in your mind, wouldn't you? But I think I certainly would be like, oh, well, that can't be a problem because I'd have been told by the doctors at the time of of having this. But that's Mm. mad because I knew like mumps, I knew it was really serious for boys. Or it could be really serious for boys. And I guess that's because of fertility, but I couldn't think, yeah. But I mean, as you say, it was other people that told you. Mm. And that must have been the only reason that you actually went, when you started trying for kids, oh, actually, I have had this and it might be a problem. And so what did the, uh, did you have an operation straight? Like what did the testing involve? So um, straight off the bat, it was kind of like uh, sperm analysis. Okay, going um produce a sample which again it just sounds so easy it's uh yeah just go and go and do the business in this cup and, and we'll see what the outcome is and, and i remember kind of um so that would have been so is it towards the end of 2017 well we started trying in the summer of 17 but we were being very kind of casual about it because my wife had stopped taking a contraceptive pill so we knew that might take a little bit of time to work out the system by the end of 2017, we'd been to the doctor. So I think my first sperm analysis was at the, first, the start of 2018. And um, and, and then the, I had a phone call and it, um, they said, oh, you're going to need to come and do a second one. Uh, I, can, I can't remember exactly the words they used, but something like it's not suboptimal um, results. But then they kind of um, I almost pushed it aside by saying, oh, but we always do two because you can't really make an accurate assessment off of one. So I was like, okay. So I wasn't overly concerned at that point, but it was after the second one, I think around three months later where I had the phone call to say there, there was zero sperm. And uh, that's when kind of the real shock kicked in. And, mm. and unfortunately, I'll never forget that phone call because it wasn't from like a qualified person. I'm pretty sure it might've been one of the receptionists or at the, at the most a nurse from, from our GP surgery. Mm. because they couldn't even read the word uh, azuspermia they were kind of reading it It it's one of those things where you could tell they wish they'd read the letter first but they were reading it at the time as on the phone to me and and they kind of stumbled their way through that word and I said well what does that mean well that's it if they can't read the word they can't provide any answers or reassurance exactly something that we we talk about so much is the language used around these the um you know results and tests and diagnosis is so important because it really does shape your future like as you just said Sean you remember that from now on because someone underqualified or or completely unqualified told you what is actually a life-changing result it's just why medical professionals need to be so much more in, in my opinion need to be so much more aware of how they deliver this 
all, all kinds of news because it is such important news to to get right, isn't it? The first time. Yes, yeah, and I think I know. I get it that you can't be an expert in every field, but just a little bit more awareness about the implications of certain things, like we touched upon with the months. But I mean, that was two thousand five, um, mm-hmm. and but then in twenty eleven, uh, I was kind of doing what like, everyone should do and checking for lumps. Like, and um, I, I found a lump in in one of my. Um, like in, my, in my balls like above one of them so I went again so you go through the process went, I went and got a, a scan and the guy then he, he obviously I, I was worried about a tumor but and so he perhaps in thinking that he was doing me a favor by playing it down was like don't worry it's just a cluster of tubes um it's, it's not cancerous and and was just very kind of casual and dismissive about yeah it's not a tumor great and I obviously I was the same as yeah brilliant just a cluster of tubes, but actually, what that turns out to be is a varicocele, which is an, can be a, a, also another cause of infertility in men. Yeah. Um, whether and I've never had actually had anyone confirm to me whether it was the mumps that caused the infertility or the varicocele, or whether or whether the varicocele was caused from the mumps, whether it's a perfect storm of both. And you know, it's not something I really push for because it doesn't matter. The fact is, I'm infertile. There's no sperm there. I've had an operations to try and get uh, to rectify the varicocele, and then also after that failed, try and surgically get sperm straight from the testicles, which which didn't work. There's just nothing there; They're not, it's not being made. So, you know, it is what it is. But again, just a little bit of education for that other the, the guy that did that scan to say that could be yes, it is a cluster of tubes, but that could be a varicocele, which could have this yeah. on effect of. Yeah, there should have been some follow-up with that, shouldn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was nothing. So and it's only when you look back and you kind of trace back through the steps that you're like, well, that could be this. And I'm now having an operation to try and rectify that thing that was found in 2011, which and, and I had that operation for the vaccine in 2019. And by that point, I, I, I don't know whether it's a thing, but maybe it's grown, maybe it's got bigger and, and yeah, done more I damage. Yeah, it's been different if, you'd, if it had been yeah. a and dealt with straight away that must be really difficult absolutely well I mean in in terms of coming to terms with everything from that phone call where you were told like obviously that's devastating for your wife as well like what Mm. did you how did you move forward with that did you start looking for sort of alternatives straight away or did you just come to terms with the grief that things weren't going to be as easy for you as they are for other couples or you know what did that do for your relationship um it was a long process um it's and I, I look back now and think god just that phone call and it was just the start but yeah it's a it was a long old process like and, and you just kind of you then enter this like almost tide that you're swept along with with through mm. fertility and, and and it's like it could be overwhelming and obviously then you start doing your own research and uh, googling which is not always a, a bad thing but you have to take everything just make obviously make sure it's from a reputable source but yeah, we just just kind of went along at first in this tide of okay, what do we do now? And and I think and that was at early eighteen. I remember by the by the end of it, we were kind of within the the IVF system, so to speak, like kind of trying to get funding because it was even though I hadn't had my operations yet, it was quite clear that it wasn't going to happen naturally. But um, I'd had subsequent sperm analysis, and each time it was just zero, zero, zero. And um, and even that in itself, trying to get the NHS funding, which I know isn't a right, but it's, it's so it's, it's, there's so much inequality with it. 
um, and I'm just trying to go through that and more tests. And again, testing my wife again, and she's never, all of her tests have always come back kind of optimal. But then they're going, oh, no, but you have to have these again. You have to have these blood tests. But, but why? Like jumping through things, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was um, obviously a lot of tough times with that. And and I went inward for a lot of it as well. Um, yeah. Because I was just battling with kind of asking questions about who I was as a man. Like you get brought up with kind of cultural and societal expectations of what you bring as a man and mm. you know provider whether that's like financially or your sperm, sperm. <laughs> yeah so kind of I was struggling with that and but I think that's really common through that infertility in general um men and women your bits not being able to do what they're meant to do mm. just knocks your confidence doesn't it I think it knocks yeah. your identity as as a woman or a man as well, because I, I totally agree with you from what you're saying about, you know, being the provider and stuff, but as well, being a woman and not knowing whether you will be able to carry a child to term is, mm. it kind of makes you think, well, what the fuck? Like, that's what women are for. That's what like, yeah. you know, we, we should be able to do naturally. And I think that's, really, that's echoed throughout, you know, where the women and, and men that we see is just this kind of overwhelming, knock of confidence by societal pressure and and expectations well and the pressure that puts on relationships then is um yeah is really tough and sometimes yes. it's pressure that isn't there but you just feel it anyway it's a guilt Absolutely, it's almost yeah. a guilt isn't it like you just think yeah oh, go and go and find someone who can do this and yeah. i think lots of people start pushing their other halves away in the hope that they'll you know make the decision to go because to to I'll tell you about the, the dreams I used to have. Yeah. I used to have dreams that my husband had an affair and then had a baby. <laughs> and I used to tell him about them. When I woke up in the morning and he started getting the hump with me and said, look, I'm not going to do that. Stop telling me about it and stop stop being angry with me for something that has happened in your dream. It's, it's not yeah. going to happen. Don't worry. It's really tough. Yeah, it's it's so it's something that which obviously you only really understand when you once you're in the game so to speak isn't it and, and those feelings are so they're so difficult but they're so valid and, and yeah think, well just go go and find someone else who can give you that thing that you want but I was really lucky in the fact that my wife never made me feel that my position as a husband was was at threat she yeah. always said this is not something you've done it's not your fault we will get there in the end somehow mm-hmm. some way so kind of that was invaluable in, in having that support from her. Um, and um, just to know that, that my position wasn't a threat. And yeah. Because I, I, I felt also the same. I just felt like kind of grabbing anyone in off the street, going, mate, just do the business with you. Just give, like, do the, give yeah. her a baby. So I, I just can't do it. But, and, but yeah, it's, it's really tough. But in the end... The, the, to kind of go back to the initial question in how it affected our relationship obviously there were challenging times and and sad moments but to kind of give anyone a bit of hope what it's like on the other end in that we're so much stronger yeah I'm a lot more open now I'm a lot more confident of who I am because I had to go on a journey of, of kind of rediscovering who I am as opposed mm-hmm. to who I believed I was and who I told I should be and yeah you know, to strip back the layers of an onion to get back to the core of actually who am I? It's very like Sean. Oh, oh thank you. 
Shrek says that as well. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. When did you first start looking at sperm donors? And talk us through that process. Um, so we kind of, when I, in March 2019, when I had the first operation for the varicocele to try and see if that would allow me to um, start producing sperm naturally without having to have more invasive surgery. We both um, we both pinned a lot of hope on that one because it was the first kind of surgical procedure as well. And it, it was just an outpatient one day thing. And, and I think we both were so hopeful that was going to work. And, and we're both optimists anyway. So, which is, I think has a lot of benefits and well, certainly more than being a pessimist, but also you have further to fall off the other side. Yeah. If there's a bit of disappointment. And when that didn't work in March, 2019, we both were quite distraught. We, I remember actually getting the, so I had the operation, had to wait three months for the kind of um, sperm regeneration timeline to, to happen. Had another sperm analysis and got a phone call to say that there was still none. Um, and I, we both remember that so clearly. And uh, I'd just come from the clinic. My wife has dropped me to the train station to get the training to work. And we we're in the car park and, and just had that phone call and we were just destroyed. And then, and then a lady walked past with a pram and, and a baby, and you just think, oh, oh. great timing. But um, yeah. so having kind of we, that was our lowest point for sure. Um, even you know finding out at first, but then as I said, you kind of swept along in the tide of it, and you become a little bit more knowledgeable, and you think, okay, this is the one we're going to do this, and then it's going to work naturally. We might still need IVF. I might still need to um, kind of do it via a sperm sample, and then with ICSI or something but it's that that's, this is the one there's no no major operations etc so after that it was just a case of rebuilding again and figuring out where to go because the next option for me was going to be an operation called a micro teasy um which was having my balls cut open like so the sack opened and each ball taken open and literally cut open and then the surgeon would look for sperm directly before because really? what the kind of thinking was that am I producing some that are kind of getting overcooked before they, they come out mm. um so it's kind of circumvent that get there before but I was quite reluctant to have that there's there was some side effects which um although the kind of medical information and, and the, the fact sheets say oh this one's rare it's rare it's rare well actually what one of them has ended up coming to to the fore in that it can um, essentially stop your testosterone production, which happened in my case. Um, and I was just quite reluctant. I'd had a bad experience with that that first operation in in the March, um, despite being quite a low key one and one day outpatient. Um, I was kind of reluctant to go further, so we were kind of already looking at other options. Mm. In the end. I decided to have that operation, which I'm glad I did because it was kind of closure. Yeah. And um, but we had already decided, no matter like if there was no sperm, we were going to proceed with donor. Uh, yeah. And so when that straight away after the operation, they're they're able to tell you immediately, really, because our clinic had an in-house embryologist um, and an embryology lab, so they literally whisk samples straight off to them. And, and by the time I'd come around from the, the anaesthetic that they had the results and so yeah they broke the news and strangely we weren't we'd had our low point and yeah with this it was kind of like we weren't 
you had a plan you know, B. Yeah, percentage-wise, I think there was more chance of this working than the first operation. Although, mm -hmm. strangely, we were both kind of accepting of whatever the result is, we're happy and we're going to move on. So we were almost ready to, to progress with donor sperm like there and then. But, yeah, obviously you need to take your time. I, need, I had just had a major operation which took the best part of four weeks to get over and wow. and then we had to have um, implications counselling, which I'm really glad we did. Um, what is, what's involved with implications counselling? So it's, um, I believe it's mandatory actually uh, um, in this country uh, to, to, if you're going to use donor egg sperm or embryos. And it just kind of, uh, we, we went to one in-house at the clinic we were at and um, it was really good actually. We we felt that we we didn't need it, and we were kind of saying, "Oh, we don't need it. We're fine." Um, but they were saying, "Oh, you have to." So, but we we still really glad that we did because it it just opened our eyes to a few other avenues that which we hadn't really considered at the time. We were still undecided about whether we would tell the children about their um their conception, but the lady kind of um. She was saying just about how easy it is these days with Ancestry.com and home DNA tests, etc. And and we were erring on on the side properly of telling anyway, but that kind of confirmed it to us that yeah, that's the right path. Kind of, for, for, you know, I know everyone's different and it's a very subjective thing. But having read a few books on it, like um, I think it's Jana Rupno's Free Max Baby, um, the kind of thinking of not telling and trying to keep it as a secret yeah it does a lot more and, and that's kind of what the advice that our parents would have got in the previous generation yeah yeah <laughs> and what we're finding now is a lot of donor conceived children like kind of our age are finding out and it's getting revealed as kind of a big dark secret and yeah kind of can be more damaging is, in the long run which is crazy right because there's no there's no re reason for that to be a secret no, there's nothing no. wrong with with the it's it's a different and and, a, and actually an amazing um thing to be able to do yes yeah absolutely and it, i just think that love wins the day and yeah as, as long as you're raising uh, any donor conceived children with with love and care and affection it, it doesn't matter what my what do i provide as a father is it important that i'm genetically linked to them or is it important that i am every part of what a father should be exactly and, and I, I know now exactly everything that's happened was leading us to these babies and I wouldn't change a thing because I, they were supposed to be brought into this world and I was supposed to be their father. Mm. That's so, lovely. Yeah, that actually makes me mm. <laughs> Haven't cried during a podcast recording for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to picking the sperm donor, is it like the Argos catalogue? Uh, I, I think it can be. Um, our... Again, our, our IVF clinic, we were quite lucky in that there was just so much and it was all in-house. Like I was able to have my surgery there. They were able to do um, my wife's egg retrieval and the transfer there. They, but they, and they also had, and as I said, they had an embryology lab in-house, but they also had a, um, a donor bank in-house. So we chose just to use that one, even though it was a smaller pool um, of, of, of selection choice. It was just easier because it was all there. And because I've heard... Because we did like we started researching others, and I have I've heard in the past of people getting kind of decision fatigue from having so many available. I think yeah. that's certainly more the case in in America um, because it's it's very commercial over there. And I can understand that. You know, 
when you go out for dinner and the menu is there's too much stuff on the menu you end up making a poor decision and having food envy whereas if there's only five things result exactly it's a good one so did you i mean it's a smaller pool and everything i get that but did you go in with the the thoughts of like i'm gonna choose like you see pictures and stuff and think i'm gonna choose someone that potentially looks like me or no so there's no pictures uh, uh, on ours I, I understand that some places do and others maybe do baby pictures of the donor um ours was none so we were given uh, essentially like a checklist of of what you wanted it is so like kind of biometrically um height weight eye color skin color uh, so we initially just went along the lines of me um and we, and we weren't kidding ourselves in that we wanted a replica of my of me it's just, as I said, at first we hadn't fully decided what we'd be doing in terms of telling or not. But also, I think it's kind of like we wanted children to fit in with, like, into the family and, and, and also lifestyle-wise because we're both very active people. Like, for example, like, there was I'm, I'm 6'2", but there was one donor that came through and the end was, I think, 6'8", or something. So we, we didn't want to go too far at either end of the scale. We just wanted... <laughs> someone to roughly fit in with both of us and yeah it makes sense. And it was, yeah so we kind of just went along the lines of what like I look like what my wife looks like and it also had to ma- um, match I think it's called a rhesus blood group for her she had blood tests um, and so that that I don't know what how, how many they have on file there at the clinic but we were given uh, six in the end and as I said I've heard of people having hundreds to choose from mm. So uh, we were more than happy with that, and they're like six is enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they they had the there was kind of like minimum criteria they had to have, which was again like height, weight, eye color, any known medical history, etc. Yeah. But then there was a couple of um, optional uh, bits, which were like a, a personal bio, and, and only out of the six, only two had written something. And I, and I think initially, as as because it kind of humanizes them a bit, we were drawn to them. Um, and one of them had written a lovely bio about why he'd done it because his wife had had fertility issues and he'd seen just the stress of what what it can put, bring to a couple. So he wanted to give back as a, as a male who didn't have any sperm issues. He wanted to give back to people like me who, who obviously do. Um, and it was really lovely and we were really drawn to it. But in the end, we just decided we wanted like a blank canvas. Yeah. So we went for one where we knew it had nothing on there apart from the bare minimum because we didn't want to kind of expect something of of, of the child or children. We wanted to, them to be who they are, uh, us to have, you know, for example, say one of them, not that it would say it, but was a, an athlete or something, professional athlete, you'd be thinking, oh, yeah. great, you know, are they going to be talented? Yes, no, we just wanted, they will find their own way, they'll be who they are. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, that, that was the one for us and um, yeah we still got like the the sheet of of, of that donor like the, and as i said the bare minimum but that that works for us and and you see it and you know they're twins and they're so different anyway and, mm. it, and it just shows that you can't expect anything of them they are who they are they are their own personalities yeah, yeah and it's our job just to now to nurture them and, and let them flourish into whoever they will be yeah so do you have any in the freezer uh we have uh, so um 
my wife, uh, she, I think on the egg retrieval, there was 26 eggs, wow. which actually I know, well, she actually developed ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome wow. as a result. Um, so she became very ill after the egg retrieval because those follicle sacs filled with fluid. Um, and so we actually had to, we couldn't have a fresh transfer five days later. We had to um, put them on ice and then wait for her to recover, which took two or three months. Uh, <laughs> but from those 26, 21, I think, made it past the overnight freeze and then 12 made it to the five day blastocyst. So we have, um, so we use two, but it's, it's one of those strange kind of twists of fate again, in that we just assumed that we had 12 single embryos in a freezer. And we went for a meeting with the clinic and they showed us the screen and there was eight singles and the last two were frozen in pairs. And we were like, well, why are they in pairs? And she was like, well, because you've had eight good quality singles, then we then freeze, because that's kind of seen as a good amount or something, I can't remember that her exact words. We then freeze the last two as pairs. And we said, well, can we have one of those transferred then? She was like, okay. Um, and we were like, okay. Because we, we were led to believe that we weren't allowed under NHS funding to have more than one embryo put back in at a time. Ah. She just said, okay. And and now, you look, that you know, that's that's a life. That That is, it's crazy. Because we would have never known if she hadn't showed us that screen. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And we just said, they are frozen together. They are supposed to be together. Can we have oh. one of those Okay. And so, yeah, yeah so that, and, you know, that is now our babies. And mm -hmm. obviously we're very, very fortunate in that it, it did, it worked the first time. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have the kind of other eight solos and one more double in the freezer. But uh, we were, so we've been having that discussion about what to do because um, it's kind of like an annual renewal. But we think for us that that would be us, like it was, you know the, what we went through to get here mm. very blessed to have ray and evelyn so we're trying to figure out whether we can donate them to other people uh, but i think that becomes difficult because there's, there's a donor involved so i'm not oh, sure if that's okay. an option unfortunately yeah wow gosh what what a bloody journey you you've been through and i'm so glad that you have you know your beautiful babies um thank you at the end of it it's incredible and I just got so much respect for you for obviously everything that we've talked about there is still such a unwarranted horrible stigma attached to particularly um male infertility I just got so much respect for you for actually opening yourself up and, and coming out and wanting to to support other men and how to tell us just just before we go tell us how, how, a little bit about how Knackered Knackers is going now it's really good yeah so it's, it's been really good for me as well obviously I've completely done it for others but I found it very cathartic and, and writing yeah. about our journey and kind of when when sitting down to at first I kind of timelined it roughly about everything we've been through but then writing about a subject and you realize there's things you forget because it's trauma and, and you just kind of go into survival mode tunnel vision mm. and, and then when actually sitting down and, and I, I'll talk to my wife sometimes I need to kind of remind myself about one aspect of, of the journey and you think oh yeah I've forgotten about that so it's been really good to kind of remind myself about that but it, it's been and, and I remember I, I procrastinated for so long in, in doing it um I kind of I had a notebook and I was writing notes of, of the journey and, and what I was going to write about and then I had to find a name and I was really worried about the knackered knackers thing I was thinking am I going to be seen as making light of it um 
am I going to get rejected by the community? And I kind of put it, I just thought, stop mucking around, get it out there. It's about other people. And I, I think what it was in the end that really kind of just made me do it was I saw a quote online. It said something, it's something along the lines of your story can become someone else's survival guide. Yes, we've seen that. And I was like, just do it, get it out there. And from the moment, for the first day I put it out, I think which was back in January, it's just been great. The support's been amazing. Um, I, I speak to a lot like a lot of people, like message, and and then in the end, it kind of evolved, and, and I started holding a couple of in-person support groups for men. Um, I'm going to need to start them up again, actually, because I was doing it in Hyde Park in the summer, um, and obviously yeah, the weather turned a little bit. Yeah, so I need because it was kind of coming out of lockdown. There was restrictions on how many people we could have indoors, and but there was also some people in various stages of their process, so they were reluctant to kind of be within crowded spaces anyway. So it worked mm-hmm. out well for the both. But obviously, now the weather's turned, so I'm going to have to find an indoor space, and I'm going to try and make them more regular. But so from those, I've done two so far, and then everyone that's come along to that joins the support whatsapp group and it's just really it's really good it's really supportive friendly environment people ask questions and rant and just get things off their chest and so it's not just but it's not just for people with your specific condition is it it's for for men male infertility yes yeah and and i mean there's one thing i've always said which is completely true i'm not an expert i'm just telling my story but along the way i've kind of i have picked up various bits of knowledge here and there so i've written about what certain like my type of um infertility is and just about sperm analysis and different types of just things i've picked up along the way but mm-hmm. what's great about that group is there's there's chaps with all sorts of different causes of male factor infertility and so one person will ask a question and there's usually someone within the group that can answer from their experience yeah um and some of it i, I just have never heard about for example some some of the DNA fragmentation related issues I just I'm completely kind of clueless about that but it's great and I wouldn't want to answer because if I did it would come from some sort of probably Google research and I'm reluctant to ever do that Um, but there's usually someone else in there with with something similar and it's just a really supportive group Um, that's what it's all about yeah knowing you're not alone really good yeah exactly and yeah it's good to to have brought some people together and as I said hopefully we'll carry that on in the new year good work well thank you so so much for joining us it was um a long time coming but worth it yeah well thank you for having me we'd love to keep in touch and you know we can share what we're doing and and vice versa yeah Yeah, there'll be loads of women listening to this whose whose fellas are going through something similar so it's really nice to be able to point them in your direction yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I think most of the messages I get are for women because, and that's part of the you know the battle that that's yeah. why I'm here to. And I know, and so many of them say that their husband's reading the account, but he won't reach out, etc. But and that's fine because people are different, but also there's different stages where I wouldn't. I, I've made a like a blank Instagram account to follow mostly female infertility accounts when I was doing it because I didn't want to follow it on my personal one. Yeah, I'd think, oh, what if someone sees that, that what I'm following? So, and I get that absolutely completely. So, but yeah, I just to any women whose whose fellas are going through it, it's just 
about being supportive really and and kind of gentle nudges in the right direction but no no forcing and I know it can be frustrating sometimes if they're seemingly kind of holding back but it's because they'll be battling with with stuff internally mm. and I I didn't always talk I often would be having that internal battle and I wouldn't even call it an internal conversation it'd be an internal argument with myself mm-hmm. um, but it's because I was going through what I didn't realize at the time was was essentially grief yeah trauma yeah gosh mm. well thank you so so much it's been a pleasure to have you in this studio pleasure to be on oh we haven't even mentioned the studio on record we're in our (laughs) studio laura and i have hired a shared office uh one day every two weeks yes amazing oh nice i don't know why you here's my mic oh look look at you my My friend ruth who's been on your um your pod as well ruth uh ruth corden no i don't remember her who's she (laughs) <laughs> the one that came from the chandeliers the chandeliers yeah she yeah. loves the chandeliers chandeliers yeah that was yeah um, so, so her and her husband Matthew they rinse me for this mic but <laughs> just before we started I said oh, I've just dusted off the mic again so, yeah. <laughs> we've got proper mics yet have we no all we've got is a blow up one yes nice well, I bought this. It's only a cheapie off of Amazon, but Matthew was saying, I remember when I first got it, he was like, you believe in your own hype now. This has got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love them. Yeah, All right, sure. well, um, you take care. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Yes, absolutely. I hopefully we'll get out in that with the babies today. Yeah, lovely. And we'll catch up soon. Yes, absolutely. Yes, just stay take in touch. Care. Thanks for having take me. No, no worries. All the best. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week.